This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Okay, well, welcome to Script to Screen Westworld. Um, I really appreciate the fact that HBO and Fred let us watch this movie today on the big screen. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so today we have a real... Oh, just give a little heads-up warning for people in the audience and, and the internet watching at home. We are going to be talking about spoilers for the first season. So I'm suggesting you binge-watch all 10 episodes right now. Then do the Q&A. Uh, but today we have a very interesting perspective of the script from the point of view of the director, who had the daunting challenge of knowing that HBO and Jonathan Nolan would freeze all his motor functions if he made one mistake. Uh, but please, welcome to the UCSB Policy Heritage, the director and UCSB alum, Fred Toy. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Fun. It's neat to see it on a big screen. It's so cool. So um, let's just, well, we'll ask the tough question first. Because uh, after seeing this episode, I'm not sure what the answer is. But assuming that it's possible that you are a robot? Yes. Because we all might be. <laughs> if you have the iPad, what, what attributes are you boosting? Oh. Uh, for you personally? Obviously none of them. Because <laughs> you're already at 20. <laughs> yeah, the maximum level. Yeah. Uh, no. So let's talk a little about it. I mean, obviously when you watch a TV show, it's not usually on the big screen. Yeah. What was the experience for you watching it on the big screen oh, with a, a big audience? It's so fun. It's really neat. I mean, because we see it. You know, we see it on, honestly, like, you know, you get sent dailies every day after you're done shooting, and you, I literally watch them on an iPad, and now that I'm blind, I literally, I mean, on an iPhone, I'm watching them like this. And then, you know, when they, and then they send cuts out every, every once in a while, and you look at them, and you try to make notes on it and stuff like that. So I'm watching them on an iPhone, and then maybe there's like a, you know, I'll watch it on my computer or whatever, and then you'll see it towards the end in the mixing stage, you know, on the dubbing stage, and you'll see it on a big screen, and that's really cool. But there's so much going on, and everybody's stressing out and all that stuff. So to see it like this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I was fascinated by the sound, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because you can actually hear the surround and some oh, of the fantastic. effects. And, the, and I yeah. think the music was unbelievable. I think the composer was fantastic. And, you know, it's all based on Jonah uh, and Lisa, who I think did an unbelievable feat of writing for the series. It's an incredible piece of writing. Uh, you know, based a lot of the mythology in kind of 70s, you know, movie storytelling. So, the, you know, the soundtrack, I think, is fantastic. And I think the music is kind of rooted in, you know, Parallax View and that, that kind of, those kinds of stories, you know. Uh, and I think it's a fantastic score. So, so let's go back to the early days of your involvement. So you, you, you walk into the Westworld world, you take the escalator all the way down. <laughs> it's top secret. Uh, what was the initial meeting with Jonathan Nolan like? Well, I'd worked with him uh, on his other series, Person of Interest, for five seasons. And um, so we knew each other well, which was good. Um, but it was very secretive. I mean, they were, you know, they were the first copies of the, of the pilot were printed on red paper and, like, you know, I mean, so nobody could... And they were very secretive about the, you know, they, they encrypt the scripts now so that they have a, a watermark on them so that, like, if it ends up on the Internet, my name's on it. You know, so, you know, all the revisions come out and they're very secretive about them. And, but Jonah especially is kind of secretive about stuff like that. And I think, I think it makes it fun, actually, because you're still guessing, you know, as you're reading it and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen. So, um, you know, we had some initial meetings 
um, just to talk about the tone and the style of the show. And I, I had seen the pilot because he had, you know, we we they made the pilot in um, about a year before we started making the series, so the pilot was finished. So I'd seen an early version of the pilot, and then uh, so I knew I kind of knew roughly what the show was about. And then we started to have meetings about what it was. And I was literally I was t- I was uh, I was taken into like a dark room, and I don't know why they had the lights off, but they did. It was very good. <laughs> and told about the timeline theory, you know, about the multiple timelines, which I you know was kind of like a mind-blowing idea and something that I'd never seen before, and we thought it was a very cool concept. So, uh, But they were, you know, they were, since I knew them, it was fun to, you know, to work together again and to be able to kind of talk about this stuff, and I, I loved the pilot. I thought it was really cool. It was one of those things where the viewing experience of the pilot was like, you know, the first 10 minutes I was like, this is like every Western I've ever seen. And then, like, then there's the scene with Man in Black and, you know, when you reveal Teddy and like, it was like, oh, okay, this is going to be like a roller coaster. <laughs> so obviously a pre-existing relationship with him helped, but for normally when you do a TV show, you have the script, you know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you have also a framework because there's been a lot of previous episodes. Yeah. So when you finally dove into the script, I got to direct this. What was the pre-production pro- like when you didn't actually know where the characters were going? Well, uh, I think it's really about, about, and the good thing about working with that team, with Bad Robot and those guys, is that they're very much about inclusiveness and they want to involve the creative people you know the director and the editor and the, you know and on the entire writing team in kind of developing the ideas so I think that they they a lot of the prep process for me was really about like getting ideas from what I was reading and not really sort of saying hey what do you want what do you want but really kind of like just feeding off of the material and then watching movies that were you know I'm an, I'm, a, I'm a cinephile and an old movie fan and so going back and watching stuff that inspired me to think about, you know, and, and, uh, and just watching tone and style and, you know, you know, a lot of the stuff in the, in the laboratory was, you know, was firmly rooted in Stanley Kubrick, uh, and, and, you know, and, and the, the stuff, you know, the Westerns were all my favorite Westerns and everybody, you know, all the directors had the same experience, you know, we all sort of saw it the same way. So that was good. That was the process was effectively kind of like corralling ideas and, you know, and, and trying to, Make it, make something into it. But at the same time, you have the Western genre and sci-fi, so you're also blending. Yeah, yeah which, so was, which been... I thought was fun. You know, it was a fun idea to be able to do that well. Is that something where also as a director, as an audience, you know if you're going to blend that and see something that's new, mm-hmm. that the audience has to be grounded in some kind of reality? I think so. So, so is that how you kind of like you frame some of your shots to give them some reality to handle the... I mean, for me, like, the, you know, my process that I take in staging scenes is really about reality. It's really about grounding everything in what would really happen. And you can be in space and you can still have a reality that you speak to, you know. So it's like you, you know, with the actors and, you know, and, and, uh, and with the writer and everything, you, you know, you, you basically when you're staging scenes, it's like, you know, how can I, if this were really happening in a theater, if we were sitting in a theater and we were watching a stage, like what would really happen between these people? Like what would be the relationships and how would they behave with each other? And trying to ground that, and then once you've grounded that into something that feels real and genuine and true for that, then you can apply your, you know, photography skills in order to try and make it interesting. Yeah, because you have interesting, because you have the open field desert, but also very confined spaces within a glass. Yeah. Was it hard shooting going back and forth between those? Or? Very, no, it was fun. It was really fun because it was like a break. You know, you got to, you know, if you were trapped in the laboratory the whole time, you'd feel, you know, you'd feel like you were, you, you know, you run out of ideas. But, I mean, that set, the laboratory especially, was really fun because of all that glass. You know, you could constantly be playing reflections and, 
you know, and, and sort of uh, um, all kinds of amazing imagery that was kind of, I mean, it was a pain to shoot because, you know, there's also a camera and a bunch of, you know, people standing, you know. <laughs> but, like, effectively, if you could, if you could figure out how, how to, the, the science behind, you know, how is it that him standing over there makes a reflection there and, the, you know, and that close-up ends up being this wide shot here, which we did. It was fun. So I like that. And then going outside, obviously, is great, you know, to be out in the... Out was the that your fo- first foray to the Old West as a director? Yes, although we did, on, I worked on a show called Revolution, and we did a lot of stuff that was kind of, that was ripping off basically Western genre. <laughs> if you get a chance to see Revolution, it's also a little Mad Max, it's a little, yeah, it's a very little interesting, crazy, crazy show. Um, right, let's talk some specific characters. Uh, William and Dolores on the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you work with these actors? Because it's a very intimate scene, but it also, you know, in the, in the heart of a middle action sequence, but how did you work with those two? Well, they had, a, you know, they had a very close relationship, and, and I think that they were really good together. And, and we had rehearsed, and they had rehearsed a lot of stuff in advance, and we had rehearsed a lot of stuff. And um, you know, we, we took time, which is something I'd never done before, not in a television series where you actually put time in the schedule to rehearse scenes with the actors. And we did it with, with uh, both Jimmy and, and um, Evan, and also all the scenes with Tony we had pre-rehearsed. So that was great, because like, you know, when you're rehearsing, when you have to shoot, it's a lot more time intensive, and you're trying to like get through everything really quickly so that you can get to shooting, right? But these were we took the time to actually like work these beats out beforehand. It was an interesting directing choice. I wanted to ask you about uh, early on. I mean, the, the first scene where she's basically telling him, "I want to leave the life." You push in really subtly, and you can actually see William now getting sucked in. Mm-hmm. Like he was the moment he actually, I think, she seduced him. Finally. Yeah. How, how did that come about? Because that was something... That was uh, part of the reason why we were 15 hours into the day and not having shot anything beyond those scenes because those took some time to work through. <laughs> and it was, really, it was really... I just thought they were terrific and I thought it was a great bit of writing that scene and, and uh, the idea was to sort of draw, do exactly that, to sort of draw you in because we knew late... I mean, that was, one, that was a tip-off that I knew that, if, that eventually, like, you know, William's character was going to... where that was going to lead and I knew that this was a key moment. You know, especially to especially to him in describing the story of you know telling stories when he was when he was a, a kid, and and explaining that that was the genesis of why the Men in Black you know ended up you know coming back and back and getting involved in the way that he did in the part. This is the type of thing as a director, if you don't shoot that properly, you can lose the moment. Especially oh, yeah. you know if you just kind of didn't give him that intimacy and you know because I like the light on her face too. Oh really yeah, good by the window with the, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's yeah it's I mean I think that's that's the job really is to try and capture it I mean for me that's what I feel like like I was saying when in staging scenes like for theater uh, in the sense that make it make sense for the characters and then when they when they bring it when they're when they're not thinking about where the camera's going to be or what you're going to do and they're just emotional you just, you see it and this magic happens and then you just figure out how to capture it I mean you, there's a plan but you know sometimes it changes and you kind and try and come up with something really you know, that fits the moment. So you basically, you dealt with the character stuff first before you told her we're going to do this really slow. Yeah. Evan Rachel yeah. Wood, really tiny, uh, slow pan. Absolutely. I mean, zoom in. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was really about just making the emotion work and then, and then just taking, you know, and then sometimes, you, in that particular case, because of the train car was so small, it was quite uncomfortable for her, that shot, because there was no room. And so she was in a little tiny chair. Like, as a matter of fact, she was sitting on an apple box. And um, and uh, and the camera had to come like right. I mean, the camera came like right here in front of her. And so, so I mean, it's it's nearly impossible to act to another actor when the camera is like this. And we did a lot of that. I mean, all of the Mave stuff, 
you know, in the, in the laboratory. My idea was that, you know, every time she sort of made a transition, I ripped this off from David Lean, uh, uh, every time she made a character transition, I sort of put the camera, like, straight in her face with her, with her, with her eyes looking straight down the lens and, and, then, and then sort of pulled away and revealed the new scenario that was happening. And it's very difficult for the actors to do that, but they, you know, it's a skill they learn to do. And that's something on a regular TV series you might not be able to do since you don't have the relationship with the actors or rehearsal time or... Yeah. Is that true? Or well, so, yeah. Well, you usually don't have enough time. Right. <laughs> not, not that we had a lot of time on this because there no, there's never enough time or money to do what you want to do. All right. So at that point, did you know William's true identity? Yes. I was, that, was, that, was the dark, that was part of the dark room conversation. Ah. <laughs> so, so John, they wanted you to know it, so you can kind of frame. I think they wanted me to know because I needed to know wow. in order to tell the story. Um, but other other information was left out. <laughs> but which I, I, to their credit, honestly, I think that I'm, I'm actually there are certain things that I'm glad I didn't know about because my naivete in in, in the approach actually kind of I think when I watch it now I think it was actually the the right choice. Um, so let's let's change gears a little. Talk about the, your big action sequence. Oh, Teddy, uh, you know, mowing down, mowing some down of the soldiers. <laughs> some soldiers. It was also, of course, Teddy at this point was just, you know, the boyfriend pining for the woman. He flips. Yeah, you know, the big turning point that's for him. Big, that's his big moment. Big moment. So, what was that? How did you work with them? And were you even shooting such a big action sequence? It was fun. It's, uh, you know, the great thing. You know, when when you look at it, and you and you see, and I see all the pieces putting put together and everything like that. It's very exciting. And you think, you know, oh my God, that's an overwhelming task. But the truth is, is that you have this amazing team of people that are there for your support and that help you, you know, that you're all in it together. You're doing it together. So like you have, in the case of a stunt sequence like that, you have a stunt coordinator and then a couple of, uh, you know, other stunt guys who are there to plan it out. And it's fun because you sit down and you go, okay, we want to do this crazy sequence with a Gatling gun. And Jonah was obsessed with a Gatling gun, which, which is awesome because it was really hard to find. And the guy, and, 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 uh, we managed to find one, and, and they had to. It was an antique, and they had to kind of make it work. And, but uh, anyway, you work with the stuntmen, and um, you plan these sequences out, and you talk about who's going where and what they're doing, and where the explosions are going to be, and all that stuff. And then you have to go out to the location, and you have to kind of plan it out, and you go there with the effects guys, and you say one bang here, and another bang here, and another bang here, and then this car, you know, carriage is going to go up, and um, and we built that set on the side of a mountain in a, in a place called uh, Pico, Pico Canyon. It's, uh, it's in Santa Clarita. And um, they built that train tunnel uh, for that set, and then we put the tents up and all that stuff. And then, um, and, then, and then it's really about breaking it up. I mean, for us, anyway, big stunt sequences, it's about breaking it up with the first team, which is the principals, so all the stuff with the actors, with James and Ed and everything. And then figuring it out like a math problem of like, what do I need to see them in? What don't I need to see them in? And then going back and, uh, and shooting it all with stunt guys, basically. Now, there's also the flashback where Teddy kind of goes nuts and yeah. you assume he's you know, working with Wyatt. Yeah. Uh, so were you, how did that work? Was that shot before, after? Were you aware of that? How did that, did you shoot it? Did that you... scene I did not shoot, which brings up another issue. There's a number of scenes in the, all of these episodes that are split between a bunch of different directors. And so uh, we had, uh, I believe that that sequence was shot by Stephen Williams, who did episode eight, which actually was episode seven at the time we shot it. But it, uh, that scene I didn't shoot. 
But were you aware of it, or were oh, you yeah. aware that Teddy was yeah. you know, at that point yes. working with Wyatt? Yes. Okay. Uh, so again, that was Jonathan deciding what you needed to know, need to know basis, yeah. not classic. Uh, <laughs> well, it was in a different order. I mean, that, that, the, the reordering of the stories is which, I mean, it's another credit to, to those guys for, you know, to Jonah and Lisa and everybody for the incredible and the editors and um, Stephen Semmel, who's a friend of mine who was the editorial supervisor, producer, the assembly editorially of what that of what these episodes have become is unbelievable because you know from in, the scripts were incredible, but they're really there's a it's a really an amalgam. I mean it's been jumbled uh, together, but totally cohesive. And and uh, there were additional things that were shot later to kind of fill in the blanks. But you know um, some of some of the sequences that I had done are in eight, and some of the sequences that Stephen had done are in in six and seven. And Richard Lewis, our producing director, had done a, a bunch of stuff in between, and so there was a there's a which is I think kind of a new paradigm really for television directing is that you know most of the shows that you do, and also Once Upon a Time, it was really one director to a, an episode, and I think that these shows Game of Thrones certainly is done in a way that they cross board everything. They cross board meaning shoot at the same time multiple episodes. You know, in one day they're shooting four different episodes. You know, in one location, and then they go so the directors split up. And given the fact that Jonathan Nolan likes nonlinear yeah. and mixing things up, he's Ma- the perfect guy sense. to do this. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. <laughs> um, so one of the things, your biggest character, you know, working with Danny Newton and me, mm-hmm. I mean, that was their biggest, yeah. you know, she had a lot of scenes in both of them. Uh, what was what was her concerns? Because it was a challenge, because you had the first scene where she's sitting nude on a table reading yeah. an iPad, <laughs> but it's actually the most re- one of the most revealing moments of the show. How did yeah. you work with her on that one? Because that's another very intimate scene. She's completely uh, committed and amazing. I mean, the, the entire cast, I have to say, um, was completely invested in the show, and I was so fortunate to be able to work with, with them and to be able to have the opportunity to play with them and to try things. And I mean, Tandy could not have been more prepared and excited and she was always up for conversation and ideas about how to develop it. But, she, you know, obviously she had a very clear plan. And it comes across. I think that her thread throughout the entire series is very clean and clear, as is Evans. You know, I think that their performance uh, throughout is totally consistent and incredible. So I was happy and grateful to be in the presence of that performance. And I was also referring back, you had your glass walls there. Yeah. So reflections. Yeah. Uh, but... My favorite scene, and actually you and I watched it together, uh, was the Danny walking through Westworld, seeing how you yeah. know, they're created, discarded, they're yeah. just, you know, yeah. what was that, how would you shoot that sequence? Well, that was, was, you know, it was done in a number of different pieces, it was done over the course of several months, and um, uh, there, were, there were things done at, uh, at uh, I mean, it was really logistics about, because you had, you know, we wanted to go through the different levels, and uh, and we wanted to be able to see the body shop. We wanted to go to the diagnostic. We wanted to go through. So, so it was basically a tour of the facility, but all from this point of view, from this very specific point of view of this awakening of this character, of this discovery of like this. This is, you know, her reality. This is God, right? And so she discovers kind of everything that's happening in the inner workings. And so to go from place to place, we really had to kind of break it up into pieces. We storyboarded it and talked about where you know which. What day can we get the buffalo? The buffalo is not available till Thursday, so we're going to have to do the, you know, the Buffaloes. deer. Okay, we can do the deer, the stuffed deer. Let's do the stuffed deer, and we'll do the live buffalo, and then we'll do the, you know. So uh, we did. We went to the Pacific Design Center for for all of the stuff with um, 
with the pumping of the blood and all that other stuff. That was all at, at Pacific Design Center where, this, where the escalator is and all that stuff. That's there, which was a digital replication of that escalator. Um, but it was done over a long period of time, which, which was in some ways unsatisfying because you see it in pieces. You know, it's like, oh, you have this, you have that. Um, but, the, but the choice to use uh, the Radiohead, uh, again, like another musical bit of brilliance, I think, to, to use that. That was Radiohead, um, um, I think it's called uh, uh, Movie Theme, is that what it's called? I can't remember. Anybody know what the name of that music is? What's it called? Fake Plastic, Fake Plastic, Plastic Trees. Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. Yes? <laughs> now, I imagine the director must have been fun for you because there was no dialogue. So and you're totally going a visual, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, and very, very subjective. That was, I think that's the approach I took, was to make it completely firmly planted in that character's point of view. So you involved in post and how that worked, or with the music, or...? I did, and no, I didn't go that far. That, that, the post process, I mean, I did a director's cut, which, it, which took a few weeks. But beyond that, uh, Jonah and Lisa and, and Steve Semmel and, and the editors went from there, and it, took, and it took months. I mean, they were done, you know, I think we were done shooting the second round of it in uh, June um, of last year, and then I guess it aired in, like, what, October or something like that, right? So, so it, was long, it was a long process. All right. Now we're going to jump to the big reveal. The Bernard cannot see the door with Teresa yeah. in the cabin. <laughs> uh, how did you select those shots, and was Jonathan Nolan maybe had concerns about how that would pay off? Because it is the big moment yeah. when Bernard doesn't see the door. That was another running out of time moment, which <laughs> apparently I'm classic for doing. But, um, so we shot the interior cabin um, in Glendale. And that, that was a house. The exterior portions were done at the Disney Ranch, which is out in, in Santa Clarita, with the elevator that comes up out of that. That was actually, that was like a... The elevator that comes up out of the ground, we did practically. That was actually like they built an elevator car, and then we put it on a forklift, and uh, and put it and shoved it up against a hill. And since it was nighttime, you couldn't see that there was a, like a huge gap in between where the f- edge of the forklift led out and where the. So anyway, if you look carefully, you can see. That. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so um, the scene in uh, in in the house where they walk into the house, you know, he brings the lantern, he walks in. We were running out of time, but it was like this key moment, and we had prepared to have the, you know, so he walks in, and I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but when, you, when he walks in with a lantern, and he, and he, and he walks past this, the wall where the, the, the door is, and there's no door there, right? So that was, the door was there, so the door was built there, right? But we also had this other plug that we stuck over it, and in visual effects, we just sandwiched it over the top of it. But it's all one shot. And so the idea was, um, and we put some crazy wallpaper on that door, I mean, on that wall so that you'd, like, really notice it when you walk in and a whole bunch of light on it. So, like, it's, like, him, him and the lantern, this crazy wallpaper. And then he walks in, and, he, and, and so the sh- idea for the shot it was a one-er to not have a cut, you know, so that you could do it and, and kind of um, allow the audience to take it in, you know, to be able to sort of figure it out when they're watching it. And, and hopefully people saw it before he says, what door? But anyway... You, so uh, we ran out of time, and it was late, and uh, I think I did it in one take. I think one or two, I think there was maybe two takes. One. I think it was one take. Anyway. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So I was a little nervous. And what was our, the Nolan's reaction to the... Uh... They, they loved it. <laughs> but that, didn't, that hasn't happened always. Sometimes it's the other way around. Well, and that obviously, if you did, any other way you shot, that could have ruined the moment, changed the moment. I mean, that was a yeah. critical... Yeah. Thing. It's yeah, just... I was, I was, I was nervous. 
<laughs> Let's talk a little about Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Who's that? Yeah, he was. I think he was in a movie, <laughs> like in a miniseries or something, a long time ago. I, I don't know. Uh, so he orders to, uh, orders Bernard to kill uh, Teresa. Did he have any concerns about that? Because that's Very his much big. So. Yeah. What was his concern? He, uh, he was. Um, first of all, he was super excited. I mean, he was really, really. He was like. <laughs> he was really. He really was. He was like. He couldn't sleep, and like, we, he he was really excited. He loved what was written. He thought it was really fascinating, and was and and his process is so fascinating and complex. And he goes through these things in his mind constantly, um, you know. And we had, we did a number of rehearsals. We talked about it a lot. You know, we we kind of emailed a lot about various ideas and things like that. And which is amazing because I, you know, I had always been a huge fan of his, and I'd watched his work, and I was like, God, what's going on in that mind? And it's all there. Like he's not faking it. You know what I mean? There's like, there's so much behind those eyes, and and uh, so he um, he didn't want to look like Hannibal Lecter. That's what he was worried about. So um, he was he was trying to come up with ways to kind of steer away from it, and um, but I think ultimately like found. A performance that was very much forward, and I think he was very happy with that. And it took some time, because I think I, I do think that he um, he he gave a, a, an, an unbelievable performance. You know, when I watch the entirety of the series and you get to the end and you see, I mean, it was really an, a well, an incredibly crafted. You know, not by mistake, not by happenstance. You know, he it was it was well thought through, and so that I, I actually think that. He, uh, you know, in that that was a very critical scene for him because that was really a, the first kind of reveal of his intentions and what was behind it, and you know, whispering in her ear and all of that. that well, I also like Teresa in that scene because for a lot of the scenes, she still thinks she's in power. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you work with her? Because they're battling each other very subtly. Though. She was nervous. She was really nervous because I mean, you know, they'd had a, a number of scenes up until then. I mean, they had that wonderful scene at the villa. I think it's in episode four, um, and uh, with the pitcher. And uh, uh, she, uh, she was really nervous about it. I mean, because I mean, because knowing that there was a turn there, that there had to be this moment in which she realized that, you know, effectively. I mean, once she realizes that, I think again, like you said, I think she thinks she's still in power even at the moment in which she realizes that Bernard's, a, you know, is a is a host. Um, but there is this moment where she does have to recognize it, you know, and I think it's when Bernard loses the tie. It's pretty much yeah. and, the great, and the great line by Hopkins about blood sacrifice. Yeah, where it's the blood sacrifice. To, and, and what about Bernard? I mean, he, this is his big, you know, yeah. character. What, what, how'd you work with him on this? He because, was, uh, Jeffrey, um, again, incredible. Um, Jeffrey, um, you know, was very open to direction and really wanted to, I mean, they all were, but he really wanted to talk about, like, okay, let's talk about what turning off looks like, you know. And he try, you know, and, and it's, you know, the 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 greatest actors always. It's so much fun because when you're working with them and you're like, okay, hey, I'm thinking about doing this or whatever, they'll rehearse it for you right in front of them. You know, they're like, okay, I'm gonna do something like this, and then you know, and so and that was the case with Jeffrey. He was like, he was like, let me show you. He's like, Fred, I want to show you like what I think turning off looks like, and so he kind of, you know, he does this thing, and um, and uh, and I and so I got to say like, well, how about a little bit of you know, a little pepper, a little salt and pepper. But he, um, but he, um, uh, he came up with it on his own. He was great. And uh, I, I, the shot, I mean, it was interesting in the last, the shot you did, the murder scene, uh, through the robot. Oh, yeah. And also Anthony Hopkins looking at that. What was the choice for that one? Because you actually toned down the violence a little in that one because mm. it was such a painful Yeah, that was the point. Yeah, that was the point. I just thought it was a cool shot. 
<laughs> no, I just didn't want to show the. I, you know, I, I just feel like that. You know, that kind of stuff there that uh, is best played uh, impressionistic. You know what I mean? I think that like when you get into the, you know, the with the blood and the. Yeah, I mean, we we had just done it though with Clementine, so I, you know, I, I felt like the violence of the Clementine death, which was which was a different story, type of story. I mean, effectively, the death of Clementine was really this. I mean, you were supposed to be sort of much more emotionally invested. I mean, seeing Clementine, you know, kick that guy's ass and then get shot, you know, it you know was intended to be this sort of like a, a kind of a emotional linchpin of the episode, really, at that point. And uh, and the death of Teresa is sort of like a fait accompli once you see Anthony Hopkins show up in between them. You know what I mean? It's sort of... <laughs> yeah, speaking of the Clementine thing, uh, there was a great moment, which I think could really alter the scene, where we see Teresa's reaction to Clementine yeah. being beaten. Without that, it almost would have been just violence towards women, but then it was suddenly... Yeah. You're seeing the real cost. Yes. Uh, was that something... Was that in the script, or was that something you just wanted to... I, I, that, I believe that was. And I, Well, I think that what we had done on that scene, that scene took two days to shoot. And um, we... Um, we talked at great length tonally about that in the rehearsals in terms of, like, we wanted each one of the characters' uh, point of view to be represented clearly. Um, and, and, I, and I felt like, like Sidsey had, had an idea of how that transformation was going to happen when she sees that. And also Clementine. I mean, the fact that Angela, Angela played that really well. and that, uh, She did all that stunt work. All that was her. Was her. Um, when she kicked that. And that's a, that's a famous stunt guy. Um, all, I have to Google it. But anyway, he's, that guy, he's really great. And, he, uh, and, she, and she kicks his ass, and she did the whole thing herself. But anyway, back to your question. Um, everybody, um, everybody had an opportunity in that sequence to play the beats and to play the moment. No, nothing was rushed. And, uh, and by design, I think, is because that was really the ultimate standoff, was that, like, you know, basically uh, Charlotte taking the machines and pitting them against Ford and pitting Ford against Bernard you know, sort of in a brazen and kind of stupid way results in Teresa's ultimate demise. And it was fun watching Clementine beat him up. Yes, that, we was, looking, yeah, we were, that was great. It was also fun when Thandie Newton's, the tech, uh, she put the knife to Thandie Newton. Oh, uh, Thandie Newton put the knife to the tech to guy. Sylvester, <laughs> right. To <laughs> Sylvester, right. Uh, so looking back, though, I mean, you had, you know, Teddy becomes a different character in your, yes. fundamentally. Uh, William commits. He's been... Totally non-committal to this point. Yeah. Dolores wants a different life. Bernard's a robot. You had all basically all. And Danny Newton now coming self-aware. Did you realize that you were getting all the character? No, you basically all the character turning points <laughs> happened with you. I got I got lucky, uh, and I, it's a little secret that I have from television directing that sort of landed. And I can't say that this is the case, but I'm just only telling you this as a, as an aside. Like I had a num- for a number of years had been asked to do like the first episode after a pilot. Or the second episode after a pilot, which ultimately ends in a smoking wreck of you know horrible disease and disaster <laughs> because you don't have enough money and you don't have enough time and the stories are not developed and anyway, so I figured out that if you slide in somewhere around six or seven, <laughs> you get a good script. Well, you know, in a lot of TV shows, I mean, you, you can't change the character. No, they're doing a Law and Order or something like that. You're not allowed to change. So it must be kind of really fun for you because you really got not just one. Yeah, practically everybody. Yeah, no, it's great. I got, I got, I got very, very, very lucky. And thank you to Jonah and Lisa and, and Bad Robot and everybody for giving me that opportunity because I'm very grateful for it. So you mentioned, you know, it was all top secret. So I'll just ask a very safe question: What happens in season two? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, they're they're uh, they're. Uh, I've heard that it's 
expansive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's talk a little about your origins. Uh, you came to UCSB Film and Media. I'm human. If you're human. You're asking. You are human. All right. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Although you are denying it a lot. Uh, no, so, I swear. So wait, did you know when you were here that you wanted to direct, or did the, yes, did, the I did. seed get planted? By the time I got here, I was wanting to be a director and uh, and foolishly trying to figure out how to like work a camera and all of that. But but thankfully, due to this wonderful program, I I spent all of my time watching movies and learning film history, which has been the biggest gift that I've gotten in my education. was, And the thing that I rely upon now really is my film education that I got here. Well, you didn't mention, like, I, saw, I borrowed from Kubrick. I read you know. everybody. <laughs> That's, uh... I, could, if, I could point out everybody I stole from in, in every one of these episodes, <laughs> yeah. Um... Although they say it, it's an homage. Making uh, so let's. Uh, so you you leave school and eventually you land on a. Uh, you meet a new, let's call him director, unknown director named J.J. Abrams on Alias. How did that? You know, how did working starting with him and start you off really? Well, that was uh, that was. I was an editor. I became an editor after. Well, I was. I was. I was a. Uh, I worked at, as a production assistant for a really long time, and I was a runner and used to take scripts to people and get people, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and all that stuff. And I did that for a long time. And then I became an assistant film editor and, uh, and then an apprentice and then an assistant and then I became an editor. And so I had been cutting f- um, for uh, 10 years or so by the time I started to work with J.J. And I, and I actually worked on the pilot of Alias doing visual effects. I did, I did some really bad matte paintings. Uh, I was an unskilled matte painting worker, uh, creator, and um, um, and uh, and then I got asked to work to edit the series, and so uh, I I became um, one of the full time editors, and and by that time I was you know I had I had, I was in the process of or I had just made a short film as a director, and and uh, and I I um, and I wanted to um, I wanted to direct on the show, so I went into JJ's office and I said. Uh, yeah, I really like to direct, and uh, and and he said, "Well, that's that's good for you. <laughs> Congratulations! I'm glad you've arrived at the point in which you're willing to say you want to be a director. Have a nice day." And uh, um, but he, you know, it planted the seed, and there were other producers on that show that were very supportive of me. One of them was a guy named Ken Olin, and somebody else named Larry Trilling, who were both producing directors on the show, and they started to give me little second unit stuff to direct, and then. In the fourth season, I was given an episode was uh, written by Drew Goddard, and it was a very special episode of that show, and uh, and it turned out well. And then the following season, um, JJ, uh, as a result of that episode, asked me to be a producer on the show, and I directed five that season, and then I haven't edited since, sadly, because I like editing. Yeah, but the editing must have really helped prepare you as a director. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And uh, or what, sometimes what not to do. Yes, a lot. Yes, I got the opportunity to see a lot of directors uh, in very successful. I, I edited a lot of stuff that JJ had directed, and and the directors that were on Alias were really, really talented guys. Jack Bender, who you had here, yeah. I, I edited for him a number of times, and uh, Dan Adius, and so these guys. Um, I learned a lot from their footage. I learned how a lot of fundamental skills about what to do and what not to do. Interesting. Uh, and then uh, you landed on one of my favorite shows, which is now celebrating its 10th anniversary of the pilot. 
Chuck. Oh, Chuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was special about that show, maybe compared to some of the other shows you worked on? Um, it was a comedy, basically, and that was super fun to do. And Chuck, and it was an action show, and it, there was no money, so <laughs> you had to scrap and scrape for everything. And you did huge sequences. I mean, I did, I did um, two, two. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna toot my own horn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Two episodes that I directed won Emmys for stunts, and they were they were stunt sequences that were um, that were elaborately conceived and ridiculous. I mean, everything on that show was ridiculous, <laughs> and um, um, and one of them was this fight where Chuck and and Casey are tied back to back like Rocky and Bullwinkle style, <laughs> and Chuck's on his back and he's swinging him around like this, and then they and they and they're fighting these like Russian. Got no offense against any Russian people, but anyway, they're fighting against these Russian guys, and then Chuck um, Chuck uh, gets thrown out a window of a hotel and falls like twenty stories down into a pool, and then they play Neil Diamond. And anyway, you, you can't, you you shouldn't miss it. It's really, I'm I'm obviously selling it really well. Well, and also you had Zach and because you and I talked a long time ago, Zach and Yvonne, which were easy to work with. Yes, and, they were you know, the lead character. Although Zach, yeah, Zach became unhappy towards the end of that show. He wasn't like what they were doing with him? Or? He didn't like the scripts. Ah. But the show remained funny and good. But we got less and less money every year. I keep reiterating this point because the less money you have, the more creative you have to get. Ah. <laughs> All right, so I'm having some fun. Well, let's open up to the audience. So raise your hand and we will run you a mic. Uh, we'll go down here. Hi. Um, I was wondering what happened to Elsie. Um, oh, everyone wonders what happened to Elsie. So can you tell us anything? <laughs> I, got, I got rid of Elsie. Uh, that was my sequence. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and she was grabbed by uh, Bernard. And, uh, and still don't, no one knows where. And I think that's one of our questions left uh, for season two. Interesting. And I think we had a question right over there, right? Gentlemen? Thank you very much for being oh, here, first off. Um, I know you were already asked um, this question, but you don't have to answer. You don't have to be like... No, just give me a sly nod. Um, what are the chances of us getting an East World? East World. Oh well, that was. I was just as fascinated by that sequence in the episode ten as you were. So, I uh, your guess is as good as mine. Groovy. I have a question right there. Hey, so uh, you said that the Tandy Newton walking through the upper layers of uh, Westworld was. You're going to ask a question about naked, aren't you? Um, no, I'm not going to ask you a question. <laughs> I'm refraining asking that question. Uh, my question was actually, how much of like the mythos of the facility where Westworld is based was kind of added, um, not really pre-planned, but something that came to fruition? Like, you know, uh, Bernard goes down to like floor 82B or something, uh, way deep within, and I'm wondering like, how much were you in control of of being able to add to this, you know, world? We had um, we had conversations with Jonah about what this facility was going to look like, and so a lot of it was born out of practicality. So we would look and find things that we thought were cool. I mean, effectively, the escalator idea was really just about the fact that the Pacific Design Center has like a totally cool escalator, and so. You know, I mean, there's an elevator. You see the elevator. They get in it. They go down to cold storage all the time. Why are they on an escalator? Well, because it's cool, right? So we had, <laughs> so we had, you know, we found things and we talked about, you know, hey, how can we integrate this in? And then ultimately, because you know, we had some time in preparation before, you know, Jonah 
you know, a lot of the things about the levels and stuff like that, those are things that he had pre-planned. So a lot, of, you know, a lot of the little Easter eggs in terms of like numbers and things like that, and um, JJ does a lot of that as well. Um, the those were part of the plan, but ultimately, like the locations and how it laid out and all of that, that was really just a development process of like, you know, in the script, it's like she goes through diagnostics, she sees this, she sees this, you know, and she sees the men with the car, you know. But those ideas developed as we started to play around with set pieces and actors that we could hire and people that we'd worked with that we liked who were great, you know, we thought could play that role, you know. And uh, I mean, the hardest, the hardest development, I think, really was the. Um, was the was the man with the blood? You know the blood transfusion. That was very tricky. I hope that answers your question. Hi. So um, after watching the whole uh, season and then watching episode uh, these two episodes again, and I was still kind of confused about the sequences where uh, Ford was uh, interacting with his him his uh, younger self, like little Robert. Mm -hmm. So I don't really understand. Like what 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 was that trying to say? What was it trying to say? Well, maybe this is too um, uh, too obvious, but it was really, a, you know, as he mentions, it's a, it was a gift that Arnold had given him, right, to be able to have uh, to have a connection to his past. And I think that what we what it was trying to do effectively, and hopefully it did, was show that Fortis is a sentimental guy, and he also had has a very complex history. His relationship with his father, and ultimately, you know, his family, and the time that they spent together had everything to inform his character. So I think that what we wanted to do was show that uh, his that history and that the fundamentals of you know of what makes a man, what creates a character, are critical to this particular character. So, uh, in showing Ford's past uh, through these through these robots, um, and this recreation was really to show. Um, his connection to his himself, and also to s establish the cabin, which reappears later and becomes a really important part of the story. Does that answer your question? Um, so you mentioned the increased budget for Westworld. Um, what was it like working for an HBO production compared to other network television? It, it was different. Um, You know, HBO. I think is. Um, I think underst understand. I think understands that they. Um, they're kind of investing in a in a in in a project that has um, can have deeper roots. Let's just say it's not. They're they're not quite as focused on the immediate r reaction. That they know that it'll take a while for an audience to kind of t to to take something in and understand it. So they're not as quick to react to the kinds of things that I think that other, you know, because I, I do think that we all have such limited time and also limited uh, attention spans, you know, and that, um, you know, this isn't the kind of series where you would say, you would just watch it and instantaneously, like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, I can't stop watching it. I mean, there are certainly series like that that I think are great. You know, like Mr. Robot, I thought, like, I got riveted in the first five minutes and I couldn't stop watching. I thought it was really great. I wouldn't say that that's the case here. And... But they invest in this, the fact that, that it's going to develop over a period of time, that it's going to, you know, that it's going to, it's going to sink in and it's going to be intoxicating. And I think that that part, that being the fundamental part of, of the creative process that they in, infuse in the creative people, it allows you to kind of develop ideas that are, that are a little bit more complex. And also, they're also looking for things that are, 
you know, not immediate, you know, gratification kind of ideas. So it was very good, and it was also, you know, it was, it was, they were, this was a period of time where HBO was very nervous about this production, and then they were very involved, much more than they, I think they normally are. So they were, they were deeply involved at the beginning, and there was a bunch of changes in the management of HBO at the time when we were making it, and there was a shutdown in the middle of the show we stopped for, you know, they had stopped for about three months to kind of catch up on scripts and redevelop, and there were some changes at HBO at that period of time. So it was a, it was a turbulent, a very turbulent time for HBO. All right, we have time for one more, and that lady right there. Um, you said you helped film in other episodes. I was wondering what your favorite part in another episode that you got to film in was. <laughs> Uh, it's my favorite part of any of uh, that I didn't do, right? Any part of, of my favorite part of the show? Oh, that I did. Oh, okay. I, I would say I did. Um, I did a sequence in episode three that was the um, was Ford's description of the bicameral mind with uh, Bernard, and uh, in his office we kind of introduced Ford's office with the heads on the walls and all that stuff. And so that sequence was another one that took a couple of days to film, and we rehearsed it extensively, but um, that's my uh, favorite that I was not, that wasn't part of the ones that I had done. What was your favorite non-Fred toy? No, oh, um, I, I think I liked the 10th episode. I think I liked the last one. I thought that, I think that was probably my favorite, and I really thought that the, the, um, the execution of that idea, I mean, you know, going into it, knowing that there were so many threads, and there were so many, you know, I mean, these idea, I mean, these ten. Well, this is like what, twelve hour or eleven and a half hour show, right? To tell a story over that period of time, and to connect the dots, and to actually have thought through it all completely in the way that Jonah and Lisa did, and to bring it together in that way that it's cohesive and yet mysterious and interesting. I thought that they did an unbelievable job, and Jonah did a great job of directing it. So to me, it was that pulling together of all the ideas and the, and, and the ultimate, you know, sort of takedown of Delos at the end that I thought was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, there's a great moment with Ed Harris's reaction. Oh, it's great. He's actually happy. Yeah, he's when happy. he's in trouble, we'll just say. Uh, he's, finally get, he's finally meeting his match, which yeah. is great. Uh, well, we always end our show with the same thing in our events. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, same tough question. <laughs> uh, so uh, going back to your childhood, was there any movie or movie theater experience that really inspired you? Seeing yes. a movie, what was it? I have a number of them. How many do you want to hear? You as many as you want as to give. As many us. as I want. <laughs> um, I saw uh, the Sound of Music alone in a theater, <laughs> uh, and that was a huge inspiration to me. And I was always a fan of that film and of Robert Wise's films, and of, and of the fact that he was an editor. Uh, and uh, that was one of those moments where I, you know, and I hope that everybody here has that same kind of an experience for whatever it is that you want to do with your life, but, you know, where I, where I sort of thought to myself, I have to do it, and I have no other choice, you know, that it was sort of a, a fate sealed, because um, I was inspired by the filmmaking and the elegance of it, and, uh, and, and similarly, uh, the first time I saw Lawrence of Arabia in 70mm, which I saw in, at the Cinerama Dome when I was in my 20s, uh, I had the same experience. Yeah, we actually show both of them in here, digital restorations. Oh, cool. Sound music. And, uh, so you can give us one more. Oh, okay, another, another movie experience. I remember seeing Hiroshima Mon Amour here at the Ivy Theater, uh, and I was like, wow, <laughs> that is painful. But I loved it. Uh, Anyone else feel that way? 
<laughs> no? Okay. Uh, well, Westworld, as we mentioned, was intended to be shown on TV, but HBO and you let us experience it, which an audience has really never got a chance to experience it on the big screen. So I want to thank you flying in all the way from Toronto to come and thank inspire you. our thank production you. students. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.